Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We are in the fourth installment through the book of Ephesians. We're calling Setting Things Straight, and we've made it through one chapter. So today we're going to start the second chapter in the fourth installment uh, as we go through the book of Ephesians. And to me, it has been very intriguing to go through this book and to do our very best to relay the information the way we feel like it was meant to be relayed in context. Uh, But before I get into the scriptures, I kind of want to set things up a little bit and just ask a question. How many of you truly appreciate before and after pictures? Like if you're an HGTV kind of person and you appreciate the gains out of Magnolia and Waco, then then maybe looking at a picture like this would intrigue you because for you, you would see potential, right? You would would look at, at something that has great potential, great landscape, just need money, just need some work. Uh, and some time, correct? So, so maybe you had the opportunity to do that. The after picture is what gets us all into this thrill. And maybe you're already inspired a little bit to like maybe go home and repair the hole in the wall that's been there for a few months and you've been putting it off and you're like, all right, I'll go home and I'll repair that. I'm inspired. Um, again, I asked uh, Pastor Jeff, who oversees our facilities, if, if you have, and he's a, he's a truck and car guru. And, and so I'm like, if you had all the money in the world to restore your favorite vehicle, what would that be? And he said, a Ford F-150, 1956 Ford F-150. And I looked that up and this is what that truck looks like. And I'm like, what a rust bucket, right? And so for all of you who have projects on your driveway and they've been there for 15 years or maybe in your garage for 10 years or so, perhaps this will inspire you to maybe do something, right? Maybe order the first part or something. But with with an endless supply of money and time, this would be the outcome of that beautiful, beautiful vehicle. And how many of us would say, I would drive that to church every Sunday? Yeah, I would absolutely drive that to church on a Sunday. This other, this, this next picture I want to show you, I just want to prepare you. You know, you know, in Minnesota, we go to the pools a lot. We go to splash pads. So this won't throw you off, but we've all been on a journey, maybe something like, okay, that's what you see, right? You wake up in the morning, you take a shower and you're like, okay, I'm disappointed in what, you know, what, you know, I've been married. I'm disappointed with how things have gotten, you know, gotten away from me. So I'm going to go on this track and I'm going to do my very best to you know, to take care of the body that God has given to me. And, and I think we've all been there. I'm just not going to say, you know, show of hands who's been there. We'll just say most of us have been there. And then 90 days later, here's the result. And you're just like, <laughs> welcome to my world, right? I mean, this is, you know, and I'm like, it's not too far. It's just truth, right? And here we believe in truth. And, 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 and you look at this and you're like, here's the question. Like, what did you do? What's, what made the difference? I mean, right? People are gonna, after church in the first service. I mean, from all cor- from all angles, people are just like, "What did you do? What did you do? What what made the difference for you?" All joking aside, I think the question that we want to answer today, using Ephesians chapter two, is this. I think here's the question, and I think it's fitting: What difference does Jesus really, really make? Like I've heard about him, I've served him my whole life, I've sang songs about him. Like, I've, I've heard this story my whole life. Apparently not everyone has, has had that privilege, right? There are people still in other parts of the world who have never had the, the privilege of hearing the gospel message. But for those of us who have lived in this, we might be asking ourselves the question today, like, what difference does Jesus really, really make 
in my life? And that's exactly the question that we are going to answer today because you will find that Jesus makes the ultimate difference in every single one of our lives. Let's stand to our feet this morning as we go through Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And as you do that, I just want to remind you we stand not because it's the right thing to do, and it's certainly not the wrong thing if we don't stand, but we believe here at Cedar Valley, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive and active, right? And so we just, uh, this is just one way of acknowledging that this is the authority uh, of, of, our, of our lives. Let's read together. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. This would be a good place, a good verse to circle. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so, when, so we can do good, the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. Father, for these next few moments, we just pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear exactly what it is you are communicating with us. Thank you for being so passionately in love with us and for your grace and for your mercy and for your goodness in our lives. God, you know our hearts. You know us better than anybody else does. So we just pray you would speak to us. Give us understanding of your word. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for our time of worship corporately. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. This letter, Ephesians, is a letter that circulated throughout the Mediterranean rim, if you will, churches that Paul um, planted and is now overseeing uh, and in communication with uh, the church uh, in Ephesus, a church where Paul spent three years um, of his life. He spent more time at Ephesus than he did at any of his other churches, uh, but he's writing this letter to faithful followers of Christ. His letter is to the faithful followers of Christ, and the purpose of this letter is to remind Christians uh, to stay focused on Jesus, to, to not lose sight of of, of what has taken place in their lives and in their hearts. It's a fascinating letter. Uh, week one, we talked through just the introduction. Paul is writing this letter, and Paul is sent by God. The second 
uh, part of our, of our message talked about the breath of praise. Remember the run-on sentence where it just came out of him, right? This breath of praise, acknowledging who Christ is, who God is. Last week, uh, we talked through the last portion of chapter one, which was Paul's prayer. Paul said, I pray for you. And then he, he, then he shared what he prays for. And it might be a good idea for us to maybe adopt that into our own life rather than saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Maybe I'm praying for you and this is what I am praying. That's what Paul did. And he wrote out his prayer. His prayer was really that, we, that, that somehow the Holy Spirit would unlock our ability to understand the great power that is already in us. When we accepted Jesus Christ into our life, when we believed that power was placed inside of us. Now he says, amen, and he gets to writing his letter. And the very beginning of his letter is found right here, chapter two, verse one through 10. And this is how he comes out of the box. So if you're a follower of Christ, Keep this in mind. He is reminding Christians who maybe have become stagnant or stale in their walk with Christ. Maybe they've lost sight. Maybe they've reverted. Maybe they've gone back to, and we know they have, they've gone to now idol worship. We know that they are involved in this Gnostic type of mystical uh, darkness, right? They're, 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 they're lost in their sin again, some of them. And if you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, this is a great opportunity for you to hear the difference that Jesus makes in our life. It's amazing. I'm glad you're here. We're so glad that you um, are here. And, and again, in, in chapter two, Paul paints a vivid contrast between what man is by sinful nature and what man can become by grace. It's a before and after, if you will. Let's begin. Chapter uh, 2, verse 1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Notice past tense language, once you were dead. He's writing a letter to Christians who are now believers, but he's reminding them, remember, at one point you were dead dead right now. So, so he is talking about a spiritual deadness. Now you can be alive physically, and this is still true today. You can be alive physically. You can be growing physically. You can be physically fit physically. You can be accomplishing great things physically, but completely dead spiritually. Paul is writing to Christians who now believe in Jesus, who have received his grace. And he is reminding them at one time you were dead. You were dead spiritually because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is why you were dead. Another translation says your trespasses, right? And so the word trespasses in the original Greek can be translated to going beyond a known barrier, right? Painting man as a rebel. Like you were dead because you were rebellious toward God. There was a known barrier. You became aware of a boundary, a God-honoring boundary, and you went beyond it, right? You were dead because of your sins. And we know that sins means missing the mark. It's actually an archery term. So you're out shooting the bow and arrow and you miss the mark. That's exactly what sin is. Paul comes out saying, remember you were dead spiritually and you were dead because of your disobedience and because of your sin. Don't forget uh, and, and think, and just so you know, like separation from God is truly um, what happens when you are spiritually dead. You are, you are separated from God. When, when someone says, this is living hell, this is a living hell, what they really mean is this is life 
separated from God. You see, life, eternity in hell is, is a eternity separated from God. That's really what hell is. Hell is a place where you no longer have access to God. So you can truly be living through hell even here on earth right now if you are separated from God, right? So, so keep that in mind. Last week, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that when this world comes to an end, there is two places to go, right? There is heaven and there is hell. It's location, 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 right? The, the most powerful words in real estate, location, 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 and you will go to heaven or you will go um, to hell. And that's just, that's just truth. So, so he comes out with that and then he goes on to say, you used to live in sin. Again, past, ter- past tense. You used to live in sin. You were comfortable in your sin. There was a time when we were comfortable in our sin. We were comfortable in our sinful nature. We were comfortable in our sinful mentality. Now think about, it, 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 maybe it's confusing to think, how can you be comfortable in sin? But when you are dead... Think about the last funeral you went to and there's a body laying in this casket. This, this dead person is comfortable in this coffin. He's comfortable in this coffin. Even when the coffin is sealed and maybe even tucked away under earth, he is comfortable in this coffin because he is dead. If for some reason that person were to come to life, how uncomfortable would he immediately become? Immediately, he would become uncomfortable. He would become very you know, filled with anxiety, right? Maybe even rage. Who knows what, what would, because when he would come to life, he would become very uncomfortable in his coffin, in his, in his state, like, like me and maybe like you, that when I came to Jesus, I became very uncomfortable in my sin. When you come to Jesus, when God brings life to what is dead, your spiritual life, when that is brought to life, you become uncomfortable with that. And Paul is saying you used to be comfortable in your sin. Let's go to the next verse. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, and obeying the devil... You know that disobedience to Jesus is obedience to Satan. Disobedience to Jesus is obedience to Satan. If you are not walking in a path of righteousness, following Jesus, walking with Jesus, if that is not where and what you are doing, then you are actually under the authority of Satan. And Satan actually serves as the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Like he is high level ranking, like he calls the shots in this dark world. And if you are not submitted to Jesus Christ, if your heart and life is not in Jesus's hands, then you are under the rule and the authority of Satan himself, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And we all know that this absolutely exists today. There are powers in an unseen world. They unfold in front of our eyes every time we watch the news. Every time we're out in our communities, we can see evidence of power in an unseen world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the rulers of the darkness. 
And Satan, my friend, is the commander calling the shots in that dark world. He goes on to say, he, Satan, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Again, rebels going beyond a known boundary. That word refuse in the original language, in, in the Greek, that word is apatheus. Apatheus meaning willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. He is the spirit. Satan is the spirit at work. And we know that he is always at work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Satan is always making an appeal for your heart. He is always making an appeal to you. Appealing to the sinful nature within each one of us. He's constantly at work causing us to, to, to be tempted to cross a known boundary. Willful disobedience. You know that Satan is the father of all lies. That everything that comes from Satan is lie, is, a, is, a, is an influence to be rebellious, to cross into this place of darkness. Let's continue. We might go without a screen. All right. If it happens to come back to life, we'll see something fitting for the message, right? See, that's what God does. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, but God. You see, this, this picture that Paul is painting is very ugly, very dark, very negative until you get to verse number four where it says, but God. Like this was the state of all of our life. This was the state of all of our being. And we were born into sin. We were born with sinful nature. We all needed a savior. We all needed his grace. Every single one of us, every single person under the sound of my voice, we all needed a savior, every single one of us. Romans 3.21 says, for everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Jews, Gentiles, Blacks, whites, browns, Asians, Africans, Indians, German, all of us needed a savior. And before we get to the but God, I don't want to leave out verse three that says all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We were following these, the, the course of the world. That, that, that means in the original language, like not a mind of our own. Like we were actually going about life with not our, the mind of our own. Like obviously somebody was influencing us. Obviously we were following the patterns of the world. We weren't following our own, our own mind. We were following somebody else until Jesus brought life to us. We were dead. We were comfortable in our sin. And then Jesus came and revived us. He brought life to us. But God... But God, Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The last part of verse 3 says, but by our very own nature, we were subject to God's anger. And some may say at this portion, I knew it. You see, that's what I've always thought about God. 
I've always thought he was an angry God. This big, big God wanting to smash little old me. Who am I in this big world, this big universe? Who am I? God's an angry God. If, you know, if God was not an angry God, then why would he allow all of this to transpire? Why would he permit our world to be in the state that it is? God's an angry God. And I would say that is not true. God is not an angry God. He has a righteous anger. And that righteous anger is reserved towards Satan and everybody in his camp. But God is a God of mercy. And evidence of that mercy is this. He has made provision for you and for me me so that we can spend eternity with him. He would be an angry God if he condemned us to hell, but he made provision to us through his mercy, through his grace, through his kindness, so that we wouldn't have to be on the receiving end of that righteous anger. He's not an angry God. He's a loving God. He is a loving God. He has made a way for you. He has brought what was dead to life. If you're a believer of Christ and you're in this room, you know what that means. You know that you used to be comfortable in your sins. You were dead because of your own trespasses. You were dead because of your own sin. But God came into your life and saved your soul. He reached you when people thought you were unreachable. But God, but God, can we just take a moment and soak that in? But God, you can feel the power of the gospel message in those two words. But God. Think of the story of Joseph. Joseph betrayed by his brothers. Sold into slavery. Accused of being an adulterer. Put in prison. Suddenly put in the highest place of authority over Egypt. And when Joseph got to a place where he could actually smash everybody who did him wrong, this was his response. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for my good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for my good. And Psalm we see another great example of, of this. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever, but God. You see, we all have, as followers of Christ, a but God in our story. It was dark, I was lost, I was alone, I was lifeless, I was hopeless, I was aimless, I was bitter, I was angry, but God, but God. For some it's, but God in 1954, but God in 1963, but God in 1978, but God in 1985, but God in 1991, but God in 1997, but God in 2003. For some, but God in 2021, but God is what changed everything. You might ask, what difference does Jesus make? Jesus makes the ultimate difference. Another example, 1 Corinthians. Not many of you were wise or powerful or born into the family of leaders of a country, 
But God has chosen what the world calls foolish to shame the wise. He has chosen what the world calls weak to shame the strong. But God, but God, say whatever you want about your life the way it is without Jesus. And then say, but God, but God revived me, but God healed me, but God made a way but God restored, but God mended, but God saved me. But that's not the end of the story. God did something special. We read this together, Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Yet another example of God's grace that even when you were dead and not in a state where you could even choose, he made an appeal to your dead heart and said, even when you were comfortable in your sin, I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be made alive again. The verse continues, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, only because of God's grace. There is no other reason why we have been saved. We didn't earn it. We can't purchase it. There is nowhere where you can somehow get a hold of it. It is only given to us through grace by faith. Every single one of us. Paul already leveled the field. Every Jew, every Gentile, every person under the sound of my voice, every person reading this letter, you are only saved because of God's grace. The before picture screams hopeless, lifeless, dead. The after picture screams hopeful, full of life, alive in Christ, purpose and passion. For he raised us from the dead, verse 6. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, the last portion during his prayer, Paul prayed an earnest prayer. God help them, unlock them, the the ability to understand the power that is within them. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now inside of every person who says, I am a believer of Jesus Christ. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That same power is now inside of you. Paul's prayer was give them the understanding to know that yes, you may feel powerless, but God's power is inside of you. Remember, weakness is not pathetic. Remember that? His power is inside of you. His power is inside of you. That was Paul's prayer. Understand the power. Verse 7. So God can point to us all in future ages. He wants to point to us in future ages. Look at evidence of my grace, evidence of my mercy, evidence of my kindness. Look, look what I've done in them. Look what I've done. in. Look at the work that has taken place inside of them as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believe. Some may ask, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do to be a recipient of God's grace? It's simple. When you believe. Think of the man on the cross, sitting on on the side of the cross. And there he is, his last appeal to Jesus. Jesus, remember me today. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. 
He didn't have some perfect prayer. He didn't have to go through next step one, two, three, and four. There wasn't all these different things he had to do. It was simply when you believe. My friend, if you are in here today and you would say, I am not a follower of Christ, not to my knowledge. I don't, I don't ever remember knowing that I was a child of God. As far as I'm concerned, I am in a state of spiritual death. Listen, today you can make a decision. You know what, Jesus, I believe in you. I may not understand it, but I believe in you. You are the Lord and Savior of my life. You are God. You are the one true God. And in that moment, that dead man, that, de that spiritual dead man will come to life. Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. If we're going to boast about anything, let's boast about the goodness and the mercy and, and the kindness of God. We have done nothing to earn salvation. We have done absolutely nothing to receive salvation. It is a gift from God for all of us. And this is how God sees us. We are his masterpiece. The Jerusalem translation says, we are his work of art. You are God's work of art. A beautiful work of art with his very own hands. He designed you. He knit you together. He put within you your abilities, your, your, your giftings. He gave you all these blessings, your talents. He did that for you because he loves you, because he is a loving God. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He came to give us life and life more abundantly, life, eternity with him, life more abundantly, the good things that he has for us right now. And you better believe he has some good things reserved for you, for your life, good things that'll point glory back to him, that'll show that he is really rich in mercy, rich in kindness, rich in goodness, evidence in your life. I was once dead, but God, but God made me alive in him. Paul's appeal to Christians was this. Don't lose sight of what, I, of what God's done in your life. You're losing sight, Christians. Little by little, you're drifting away. I'm cautioning you, you are going beyond a known barrier in your life. That known barrier is the honorable line in your life. Stay within the boundary that God has placed for us. Live righteously. Paul is penning a letter to Christians saying, don't give in to that. Although Satan makes an appeal for your heart, don't give in to your curiosity. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Don't give in to false idols. You know God is the one true God. There is none like him. Don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. And the reader's reading saying, you know, it's true. That picture I showed you of me being shredded. I can look back and say, man, I miss those days when I was in good habits, good routine. A lot of people have lost a lot of weight and then they look back years later and say, I put it all back on, man. They don't want to talk about that. I put it back on, I put it back on. Well, in the spiritual life talk, many of us, from the moment the but God happened, you look back and say, I've, I've, I've drifted a little bit. I've gone back to some of my ways. I've given in to some of my, God, 
those things that I didn't like about myself. I catch myself every once in a while just falling back into that negativity, bitterness, hatred. I'm drifting. Paul's appeal to your heart is don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. Don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you. And then his appeal for those who are not yet believers, he says, look what God can do for you. God can revive you. You're walking around hopeless, aimless, no purpose whatsoever, spiritually dead. Yeah, you may be doing good at work. Yeah, you may be doing good in other things, but spiritually you're dead. You know what that means? That the reward for a spiritually dead person is hell, eternity with Satan, separation from God forever and ever 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 and ever. And ever and ever and ever. Separation from God is the reward of those who rebel against God. And today he says, I want to give you my grace. I want to give you my grace. I can bring you back to life. So if we had to put this whole thing into one sentence, it would be this. Jesus is the path to the ultimate ever after. Eternity with Jesus Christ is our ultimate reward, to be in the presence of Jesus. Someone said recently that if you get to heaven and someone says, how did you make it? Wow, what'd you do? If you answer that question in first person, you missed it. Well, I did this. But if you answer the question in third person, you got it right. He, he did this in me. It's what he did for me. It's what he did. It's nothing that I did. Believe me, my reward was punishable by death. It was what he did for me. You, you want to ask me, it was what he did for me. He made a way for me. That's what he did. He made a way. He was rich in kindness. He was rich in mercy. He was rich in goodness. That's what made the difference. Jesus makes the ultimate difference in my life. He made the ultimate difference in my life. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with him. So here's our appeal. Here's how we'll finish. Christians, the call is to wake up. Wake up, Christians. Remember what life was like without Jesus. Remember the state of spiritual deadness. Remember the hopelessness. Remember, just remember. Paul's giving you this, 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 this rear view mirror to look back and see what life was like before Jesus. And now you've drifted away. Now you've become stale, stagnant. No more zeal, no more passion. You're not going after him the way you once wanted to when he rescued you. You were so, so thankful you lived with a heart of gratitude. But time has gone by, and now you've become bitter, you've become stagnant, you stink. It's been a long time since you've even thought about the goodness of God in your life and how he's made great provision over your life, even in the parts that aren't even spiritual. He's loved you. He has loved you. He has loved you. Paul says, wake up. And the second appeals for those who would say, I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm not a follower of Christ. Paul says, look up. 
look up and acknowledge that Jesus is here right now. Acknowledge that he is here right now. Repent of your ways. Repent of your ways and commit your life to Jesus. Commit your life to Jesus. Listen, everybody here today has a response. It's either the first or the second, but we all have a response. Would you stand to your feet with me right there where you are? I don't know what your prayer needs to be today, but you do. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now. You can sense the Holy Spirit working in you right now. Some of us may even feel some conviction coming from the Holy Spirit. And he's, and he's, he's, just, he's just sharing with you, like, come back. Come back. Let's, do, let's, let's get back into co- communication daily. Let's, let's talk about the goodness of God. Let's get passionate again. Let's see the, let's see the goodness of God in our everyday life those who need Jesus. My friend, today is your day. Today is your but God. But God, in the middle of a summer in Minnesota, in the year 2021, God came and rescued me. He brought life to me. I was spiritually dead and he opened my eyes so that I could see and he opened my ears so that I could hear and understand. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, that you are rich in kindness. You have made a way for us. We were dead in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses. We became rebellious to righteousness. We were subject to your anger, but you made a provision for us. You made a way for us. You gave us eternity through the cross, through sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the payment for my sin. Thank you for that great reminder today. God, for every Christian who's here today who has become stagnant or stale, God, revive us. Revive us. Bring us back to that place of worship. Bring us back to that place of passion, that place of zeal where nothing else mattered but serving you, where we were willing to pack the house and go anywhere you wanted us to go. Now we live in fear. Now we suffer to anxiety and other things, God, resulting from drifting away from being next to you. Do the work that only you can do, Jesus. Do the work that only you can do. If you want to be a follower of Christ and you're here today, I just invite you. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge it. God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. I have lived in my sin. Today, I repent of that. I repent of that. And I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you. I believe you are the one true God. There is no other God like you. There is no other God. You are the one true God, living and active. I surrender my life to you today. 
I surrender my life to you today. Have your way in me. Have your way in me. Be glorified in me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray and together everybody said.